500. Who do you think we are, baggage handlers? The going rate on a boat is a thousand or nine, man. You know that. All right, kids, let's get cracking for seminars. Next one up, February 5th through the 7th in Wichita Falls. And then after that, we'll be in Wichita Falls again, April 16th through the 18th. For camps coming up, we have our self-sufficient lifter camp on January 9th in Wichita Falls, covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. For deadlift and power clean camps coming up on January 16th, we'll be in Houston at Starting Strength Houston. And then we have two squat and deadlift camps on the list, January 23rd in Boise, Idaho, and January 31st in Miami, Florida. Several meets on the list if you're willing to travel to Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, they have several USA weightlifting meets. They're going to have their strength lifting challenge. And they're also going to have a strongman meet later on next summer. Then there'll be a meet on December 6th in Baltimore, Stronger Together. That's a partner meet contesting four lifts at 5x3 training. All of our strong strength gyms are open and operating where you can come in and work out with a coach for less than 30 bucks a session. To find a location near you or to request a location, head over to locations.startingstrengthgyms.com. And as usual, for more information about anything that I've talked about, head over to StarlingStrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. I'm your host, Mark Ripito, here on a Friday. And since it's Friday, this is Starting Strength Radio. Every Friday, every Friday since the world began has been Starting Strength Radio Day. You've only been seeing it a while, but we've been doing it a long time. I was doing Starting Strength Radio when I was five. Those recordings are all gone. Unfortunately, they were some... I was a cute little boy, if you can possibly imagine that. I was, in fact, a cute little boy. We'll see if we can find a picture of me when I was a little boy. Wouldn't that be cool? I bet my sister's got one. I may have one someplace. I got a picture of me and my little brother and Mark Tucker playing in our backyard when we were like eight or something like that. That's maybe I'll, I don't know. Maybe I don't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's Q and A day. We're going to take your inane ask questions. Well, they were in the shot. <laughs> now they're not in the shot. All right. <laughs> I, it wasn't defending me, but possibly somebody might have been offended by the paper in the shot. I mean, the shot otherwise is perfectly clean, isn't it? Nothing weird in the shot. Nothing. But first, 
comments from the haters. Oh, some of these are just so... It's just a horrible rip. Should put out a practical cooking book. No one will read that either, but it would be cool. <laughs> well, you know, Jim, uh, we thought about a cookbook, uh, but it's just uh, too goddamn much trouble. These things are extremely heavily photography dependent anymore. You know, you can't put out a cookbook like the famous Better Homes and Gardens cookbook that everybody's got a copy of in their kitchen, you know, about that thick, every recipe in the world, no pictures, just recipes, won't sell now. you got to make a coffee table book if you're going to make a cooking book since the rise of all these goddamn idiots on the food network. And uh, who's that guy with the spiky bleach blonde hair, the fat guy? What's his Yeah, I'm not interested. Not interested. You'll notice that uh, my hair, when we do our Texas Cafe Classics, my hair will be exactly the same as it is right now. Exactly the same. (laughs) You know, it might be fun to get a wig or something to (laughs) put on me while I did that. All right, let's see. Uh, great video, but it was once again ruined by Rusty being in it. That guy has it out for me. Man, he hates your fucking hates guts. Me. Dan Chow, lover. Don Chow. Dan Chu. Unpronounceable. Bullshit. Rip mashing meat with his lobster claws is an ASMR. I can get behind. What does ASMR mean, and does it? Why does it? Does it have something to do with being behind me? No, it's the MR maybe. I forget what it stands for, but it's like calming noises that are just repetitive. Yeah. Like, uh, there's one girl. I think she just breathes into a microphone and stuff like that. Well, I, I don't know. He says he can get behind. I think there's some kind of odd sexual thing. All right. Rip's lobster hands are a human hobrat machine. These people are just, they're borderline literate, you know. Somehow this guy's learned how to type on a computer. But I, I you know. All right, here's this is real good here. Anthony Fauci did not say do not wear a mask. This channel is the epitome of intellectually lazy on almost every topic other than squatting, pressing, and deadlifting. Three, two, one. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it, because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. Thanks, Goldie. You're so sweet. <laughs> God almighty. And that is...
Cummings from the Heaters. Uh, now that that shit's over with. Um, we got a big pile of questions here today. Some of them are kind of old. Some of them are new. Some of them are hot off the wire. All right, here's a rather long one. It says, uh, Firstly, thank you for so much for what you do. I'm cool and all this other shit. I've dabbled in your novice linear progression over the years, multiple attempts, always like blah, blah. I recently purchased a gray book. I'm feeling froggy and ready to give it another go. Here's my issue. I also train BJJ two to three times a week for sessions that typically last about two hours. I'm currently trying to combine my grappling training with a Windler 531 program, but after about a month, I'm already feeling the aching premonitions of tendonitis creeping into my forearms. Recovery seems to be an issue. Am I eating enough? Probably not. The heaviest I ever was while attempting your NLP was last winter when I was pounding pounding a half gallon of whole milk lactate every day for about a month and a half. Sounds messy. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, numbers went up. So did my belly eventually get any point that none of my work pants would fit. He's a police officer and work pants are expensive. Plus my girlfriend started calling me a milk locker. So I reversed <laughs> course and lost the weight. So here I am ready to jump back into the fray. Got my home gym set up, ready to go. I'm just looking for some guidance to set me up for success. He's 39. He's 5'8". He's 165. 5'8", <laughs> 165. Yeah, he's a big, fat pile no of shit, isn't he? Bench and squat the 200s, deadlift in the 300s. So Bree is guy's bigger, a fucking monster. Bree is bigger and stronger than him. Bree is bigger and stronger than this guy, Ben. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. He says he knows these numbers are low. He wants them higher. So he wants to know how to continue to train BJJ at his current pace and increase his strength numbers. Is this possible? Good God, wow. people. All right, first off, you're doing 531. Why don't you ask Windler? Why are you, why are you bothering me with this shit? Because Windler doesn't answer questions. Because Windler doesn't answer questions. There's no five three one radio, right? Yeah, that's, that's where probably, you can email him and where you can email where I where Wendler provides this service that I provide you for free, right? The BJJ right. is not the problem. The BJJ is not the problem. He's is your shitty ass training is the problem? Your shitty ass numbers are the problem, and there's one way to fix that. You want to know what that is? Five pounds of workout. That's how you fix it. Five pounds of workout. If you're not getting recovered, eat more. If your girlfriend doesn't like your belly, get a better girlfriend. Okay? Get a better girlfriend. There are girls out there that can do exactly the same things that she does that won't be such a pain in the ass. Okay. 
I know what Red Raiders likely response to the following question will be, but I thought it is a good teaching question to ask Red Raider. That's you. <laughs> I'm the pink Raider. Uh, ours the pink supremacy t-shirt coming along. Have you done that? It's not? Nobody has the balls, do they? No, we have the balls. In fact, I'll do it right now during this show. Pink supremacy. I'll get it, I'll get it done right now. Well, you could say pink supremacy. Pink it's power. Gonna, it's going to be starting Pink red power. Red and then we'll the fist. We'll make a pink fist. Pink lives matter. Make a pink fist and say pink lives matter. Like right there. Like left chest. Pink lives matter. The fist thing. Just steal it from those fuckers. And make it into pink. Say pink lives matter. And then I'll, I'll wear that on the show. And people will buy that. And on the back, we can say stuff like, we can put a list of shit like, Pink supremacy, pink lives matter. They've already got pink, pink lives power. matter is already a thing. No, it's not. Yeah, it's about breast cancer. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> we just have to go with uh, pink supremacy. Pink supremacy is well, good. Pink supremacy is fine. Yeah. We got to have the fist. We got to right? use the fist. Yeah, not the hook sure. grip fist. Not the. Well, you could make That'd a hook. Good. Hey, you could do a hook grip hook fist. fist. It'd be our own trademark. There you go. I was thinking lobster claw. <laughs> a pink lobster claw. <laughs> this frozen thing like that. Yeah, whatever you want to do. We'll kick it around. All right, anyway, this goddamn idiot is asking me about Dorian Yates, a multi-Mr. Universe champion, is adamant about pre-exhausting muscles prior to performing heavy compound movements. He and Ronnie Coleman were renowned for training heavy. Both were also PED abusers. 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 How does he know that? Because they're stronger than him. Because they're stronger than him. As a general rule, and more anyone, muscular and less fat. Anybody bigger and stronger than you are and leaner. is Don't forget ab- leaner. as abusing right. PEDs, performance enhancing drugs, right? As a general rule. What is Rip's contention on pre-exhausting muscle prior to performing compound lifts? Does it put the non-PED user at greater risk for injury? Is the risk-reward similar to air squats, a gains killer? Look. This is the maybe the dumbest question in this whole pile of shit here, pre-exhausting a muscle. In other words, fixing it up so you can't lift heavier weight than you did last time. Do you not understand what makes muscles grow? Asking them to lift heavier weights, do more this time than you did last time. I thought I'd explain that at some point. Have I, have I dealt with that issue before? Pre-exhausting. I think you warm up and then go up five pounds from last time. That's how you get bigger and stronger. I don't care what Dorian Yates or Ronnie did. I'm not concerned about that. That's bodybuilding. That's not what we do. We don't do bodybuilding. We don't do powerlifting. We don't do Olympic weightlifting. We do strength training. We can try to make you stronger, and that means five more pounds on the bar. And whatever it takes to do five more pounds is what you do. Because a guy with a 225-pound deadlift is going to be bigger when he gets a 405 deadlift. He's going to be much bigger when he gets a 585 deadlift. And that's all you need to know. All right? 
Dearest Rip, can you discuss the process of changing your stance on the procedure for a lift using the press 1.0 versus 2.0 as an example? How did you come to change your opinion on this? How long did it take? What things did you see, not see, that caused the change? Regarding this lift specifically, what made you or whoever did it first even think to try a breath, a breathe is what he actually typed here, at the lockout position? All right. As with everything we do, we teach this material at the seminars. And when it became obvious that it was easier to teach 2.0 than 1.0, which is a strict press with a breath at the top and a rebound off of the shoulders, then we started doing it the other way. I, uh, uh, it, it, I don't want to, why are you so interested in this, Mike? God damn. We still use both versions of the exercise. Just if you, like you've got a, uh, an older lady in the, in the seminar and she can't get the timing of the rebound down on the, on the version we teach. Now we just ever do the strict press. Uh, strict press is useful as an assistance exercise for the, for the version we teach now. There's all, we, we still use all of them. And, uh, uh, but changing my stance on the procedure just came from, you know, discovering that it was easier to teach the 2.0. My name is Nahum E from New York. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. Sounds right. Nam, Nahum. I'm emailing you because during this time, my body weight has decreased from 150 in March to 130 in August at 5'11". The man is 5'11 and 130. Wow. Wow. He's been following the linear progression training with the main movements. However, my goal is to play college football next season. And I have to quickly return and get bigger and stronger than I was previously to this layoff. Any advice from you on how to overcome the odds with this goal? How many pounds per week I should aim for when I return to training and get back to the linear progression? So he weighs, what, 130? Well... At this time, now, this is one of the older ones. Yeah. This is back in August. Uh, I just selected this because I thought it was interesting that a kid that is 5'11", 130, wants to play college football. Are we sure he's not talking 130 kilos? That's my question. No, it says pounds. Well, okay. Wow. It says pounds. If you get on a college football field at 130 at 5'11", you're going to die. If you get on a college football field at 200 at 5'11", you're going to die. You're going to get killed. Yeah. Oh, he he doesn't know this. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. He's not going to play college football. Uh, And that's just, I'm sorry, that's just.
well, so not going to happen. He's just hadn't no got the. There's no, he's not in high, is he in high school right now. I'm he's assuming. apparently in high school right now. If the kid's really skilled and he's willing to gain seventy pounds, he could if play he's willing football. to gain seventy pounds, but. Anybody that's willing to gain 70 pounds already knows that the way to gain 70 pounds is to eat a whole bunch, and there's not anything in here about eating. Right. Just, you know. Yep. This this is not that elusive a concept, all right? Uh, you know, we've suggested in the past, what's that thing we say to do? The program? When you're gaining, when you're gaining weight. Uh, yeah, so the, the program. What's it being called? A, a milk what? A milk, uh, the gallon locker? of milk a day. The, uh, what did that guy's what, the girlfriend call him? He called milk him locker. a milk locker. Milk locker. you got to become a milk locker. <laughs> I love that. But he, I mean, he should have known this. I, I, you might want to edit that out. Nah. I don't You leave it in. I mean, if he's a, if he, let's, you, say, let's, let's just say hypothetically, he's, a, he's in high school. Let's say he's a freshman or a sophomore. He doesn't know anything. Now, he's a senior because he wants to play college football next year. Next year, oh, okay. Next year. Okay. Well, and again, in his defense, any 17, 18 year old girl is stupid too. So I was stupid. He's dumb as a day old rock. He needs to do the program and gain I'm 80 pounds. He needs to gain 100 pounds. He's 5'11". He weighs 130. He needs to weigh 230. He needs to gain 100 pounds. Well, he might be a receiver. Well, then he needs to gain 80 pounds. I Either way, he's fucked, right? <laughs> I assumed if he's that skinny, he's Either not way, on the line. He's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> All right, he's currently trying to train his 89-year-old grandma. She complains that she's weak, tired, and loses her balance while walking. No shit. <laughs> she's... 89. My cure for her ailments was to get stronger with the starting strength philosophy. Yes, that's correct. We started with body weight squats to a bench, 17-inch bench, and then she went down to a 15-and-a-half-inch bench. Other day, we tried squatting with a PVC pipe on her back. However, she lacks the mobility in her shoulders to hold on to the pipe, which is not entirely shocking. You know, she can't hold the pipe in that position. How would you... Recommend progressing her in the squats with limited shoulder mobility. Well, she's going to hold a load of some sort in her hands right here. She can do that, right? And uh, you've just got to figure out an appropriate way to load this position right here with a kettlebell or a plate, you know. I'm assuming you've got access to some plates. Ever hold a five-pound plate, and then a five-pound plate, and a two-and-a-half-pound plate, and then a ten-pound plate, this sort of thing. Uh, she she can't get her shoulders behind, get her hands behind her because she can't get the bar on her shoulders. It, she just needs to go up in weight on that movement with what position she can hold. And in that in in this particular instance, that is the the starting strength approach to the thing is incrementally load the position she can get into. Uh, but I'll I'll promise you that she could probably deadlift right now without a lot of trouble. You just need you're going to have to get some equipment. If you can get an, a five kilo bar and some and some plastic plates, then she can start doing deadlifts right now. 
because shoulder mobility doesn't have anything to do with the deadlift. And I would probably, uh, I would probably, were she my client, I would probably emphasize the deadlift with her over the squat. Because anything you can do with her is going to make her feel better and make her stronger. So invest in some equipment. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy watching the Starting Strength podcast and particularly enjoyed the episodes you've made on strength in the military and strength in fighting. One part of the strength in the military episode you discussed was that the military should implement a better physical fitness test, consider it consisting of press, deadlift, chin-ups, and 400-meter run. What are your thoughts on having a strength-based fitness test for law enforcement and firefighters? Well, they're the same thing. They would be exactly the same thing. For example, should the test for law enforcement firefighters be the same? Well, I think they're, you know, I don't know about exactly the same, but if you're not, uh, if your agency is still operating under the delusion that you have an endurance-based physical job, then uh, they need to... uh, grow out of that because we don't run as police officers unless something really bad happens. You may have a little short foot chase, but you're not going to run three miles after a suspect. That's what your car is for. We use fire trucks to get to the fire. We don't have to run to the fire. Everything you do upon contact with whatever situation as a firefighter or a law enforcement officer in uh, occurs is going to involve force production not endurance and so you need to get to the point where uh I, but but you know you're you're what you're asking here is for uh the government to begin to think clearly about something. Police, firefighters, military, they're all government employees. And the government doesn't do anything correctly. I don't know if, I mean, if the last nine months haven't convinced you of anything, it should have convinced you of that. And if it hasn't convinced you of that, you're just not sharp. You're just not paying good attention or you're not able to see what's actually going on. So I don't hold out any hope for that kind of a change taking place. Hello, Rip. I learned of the starting strength and novice linear progression during lockdown. Started to implement the method when the gyms opened here in Ireland. I told my dad that I've been drinking a gallon of milk a day and he asked why I thought that was a good idea. I explained that it was the easiest and most effective way to gain body mass and sent him a link to a video about it. And he thinks I'm being duped and that you are being bribed by the U.S. dairy industry. (laughs) I went from 82 to 95 kilos in a month. No noticeable fat gain. I'm 17 years old, about 6'3". My lifts have been progressing linearly. Look, if I was being bribed like with money and shit by the u.s dairy industry i'd have a better monkey right what monkey? 
No, I'm. I'm, I'm uh, what did you, what? Tell your dad to mind his own fucking business. God almighty. Dear Rip, I was inspired by your segment on hip replacement to have the pain in my hip checked out, and I discovered that I have osteoarthritis in my left hip. I'm scheduled for replacement in two months. Been doing the novice program. How would you suggest that I modify it, if at all, in the months prior to surgery? And when and how should I start up after having the surgery? Any references to literature about recovery from the surgery would be appreciated. Well, uh, our friend uh, John Patrizzo has uh, dealt with this topic, uh, hip replacement. I think we've got an article somewhere on the website about that. Uh, but my question would be this. If you've got osteoarthritis in the left hip, how have you been doing the program? Have you been squatting high? What's your range of motion look like? If you can squat below parallel, you've been doing the program, even though you've got a little pain, why do you need a hip replacement? Now, I'm all for hip replacement if, in fact, it is such a problem that it's hampering your training. But if you're able to train, uh, I'd be curious as to why we're doing this surgery right now. This is probably... Uh, a function of an incompletely filled out question form. Okay. Oh, here's a good one. Hi, Rip. Do you know if the rogue Ohio barbells have nickel in them? <laughs> I've been using this barbell for a few years. My hands are showing itchy reactions like red irritations. You think that could, you think that could, <laughs> that's good. Pink lives matter. You think that explains my hand coloration? Well, it's not significantly different from my face. It's the nickel, it's a nickel irritation. That's apparently taken a few years to develop. <laughs> Why would I know if there's any nickel in a rogue Ohio barbell? All right. Now, I will say that those bars are probably, like most bars, made out of 4140. And there are some, you know, there's some vanadium and some nickel and a little chrome in that alloy. All right. But you've been using the barbell for a few years. Your hands are showing itchy reactions. I would look elsewhere for the explanation. All right. Dear Mark Ripito, a.k.a. Pink Overlord, when doing the press, should I actively shrug the bar up whilst pressing it up? I notice that once I finish an overhead press, I'm able to shrug it up about an extra inch or so. Whilst pressing it seems as though my shoulder blades are being shrugged up automatically without thinking about it but clearly not to their fullest extent since I can squeeze out an extra inch or, sh or so whilst engaging in the whilsting at the top of the press whilst dealing with the unreadable shit. Look, you Brits, when you, when you 
or if you're just a pretentious American, don't send me questions that say whilst. I'm not going to read them, all right? It's a silly-ass word. Amongst is also wrong. Don't send me shit with amongst, all right? All right. Rip, a while back when your video tour, in your video tour WFAC, you mentioned that Dave Draper once trained on the pull-down machine. What's the story behind that? Well, I'll tell you where that where where that came from. The the machine in question, my lat machine at Wichita Falls Athletic Club, came out of uh, Texas Athletic Club in Austin. Uh, it was run by Mike Graham for years and years. It's about three blocks from the state capitol in downtown Austin, and. Uh, he probably opened that gym back in the late 60s, uh, early 70s. And Dave Draper was, you know, kind of a deal back then. And Dave was in uh, Austin for a while and trained at Mike's gym there in, uh, in downtown Austin at Texas Athletic Club. I bought that machine and some other stuff from Mike when he was uh, moving from the location in downtown Austin, which they revoked his lease, and he was moving over to Hyde Park Gym, which is uh, over on, I think it's on Guadalupe or North Lamar, one of the two over there. And Hyde Park Gym is still there. It's owned by somebody else now. But uh, uh, Mike sold me that that lad pull-down machine uh, back a long time ago, right after I opened the gym, and I've had that thing in the gym for quite some time. Uh, it was originally a, a three station lat machine that had three big stacks on it. And the way he built that thing, it was divided into two separate frames. And the one I have left is just the, the standard lat pull. There was a low pulley row and a high pulley row station on the other side of that thing. And, uh, I gave that back when I was downsizing and cleaning out some of my machine type equipment. I gave that back to, uh, the guys that are now running, uh, the old Texas barbell club in Lockhart. And, uh, which is where Mike went after he sold, uh, Hyde Park gym. So that thing went back home. Part of that thing went back home and I kept the other part of it. And that's the story on Dave Draper and that lap machine. Fascinating, isn't it? In Start to Drink, Basic Barbell Training, 3rd Edition, Chapter 6, Power Clean. It's written, it is written, some people may elect not to perform the exercise at all. People with poor athletic ability. Does this refer to people with a low vertical jump? In my 30s, she's in his 30s, about 190 pounds of the 18-inch vertical jump. I like power cleans, but I've only been able to clean about 105 for form breaks now. I need deadlift 345 for reps. Uh, should I continue focusing on my, on increasing my deadlift and power clean together? Would you recommend a light deadlift day instead of clean? All right. When I said in the book, people with poor athletic ability, I'm talking about your mom. Okay. I'm not talking about you. All right. You're in your thirties, 190 pounds, 18 inch vertical jump. Vertical jump in the, in your thirties is not what, you 
when when we look at vertical jump data, we're looking at college age people, early twenties, early twenties, late teens, early twenties. Because as you age, your vertical jump decreases, and that's just a function of the loss of that particular group of motor units, and it gets real bad in your forties and fifties. Sixty-year-old people that do vertical jumps are fools, right? You you don't do that, all right? But you, with an 18-inch vertical jump at 190 in your 30s, and you can do the clean, uh, I think you should continue to do the clean. Uh, if you can only do 105 before your form breaks down, then work on your form, okay? You you know, the, the, the power clean is an important movement pattern. And uh, the only people that advocate against the use of the power clean are the people that don't know how to coach the power clean. There's lots and lots of those people around. And here's another question about the power clean. Question about training power in the clean. Since the speed of the display of strength is most is mostly genetically determined, as you pointed out and was expanded on in an essay, uh, on the website, I wanted to ask if you'd be able to expand on what you've said about training the clean. That it is a scalable way to keep power production current with increasing strength. Yes. What exactly is being trained? If the time part of the power equation is fairly constant, what exactly changes with the training of the clean? It is... Uh, well, probably the best way to explain that would be that at that at that stage of of your training uh, history, when you're doing uh, like you you're in the process of taking your deadlift from two twenty five up to four ninety five. All right, the power clean assumes a role that is really quite similar to practice. In that, you are practicing your explosion. And as your strength goes up, if you clean with an increasing squat and deadlift, then you're going to be more accustomed to and familiar with and comfortable with exploding at higher force production levels. And that's the best way to explain it. Power clean teaches lots and lots of stuff. It teaches the positions. It teaches a more complicated, longer movement pattern. It teaches you to keep your back tight during a faster movement through that back angle than you produce during a power than than you produce during a deadlift. Uh, it teaches you to to pull with straight arms, which is useful for the deadlift. It teaches you to rack the bar faster. It teaches you to uh, do things precisely the same way every time because it's a complicated movement pattern. It needs to be reproduced more accurately because the longer the range of motion, the longer the kinetic chain, the more things that can go wrong in the kinetic chain and the power clean forces you to pay closer attention to the positions that your body is in from the floor all the way up to lockout with a barbell on your shoulders. It's, it's a more technically challenging movement than a deadlift. 
and it's good to do technically challenging things. The, the power snatch is an even more important version of that same principle. You need to do the power clean and the power snatch if you, if you can. There's not any reason to not incorporate them into your training. You need to get the equipment. You need to do them. P.S. This is after I had, had a tiring Twitter discussion with someone defending an elite college strength coach <laughs> who had filmed his extremely thin for an athlete performing jump squats, literally jumping with a weight on his back. It justified this saying he is training velocity and sending me to some article about the strength velocity curve. All right, let me let me point out that jumping with a bar on your back is stupid because when you land it it slams down not on your shoulders here in the front but on your thoracic and cervical spine which is not good right it's not as safe and if you as the strength coach are not capable of coaching the power clean why don't you just say look i don't know how to coach this instead of making up some bullshit about why a jump squat's better i understand you don't know how to coach the power clean lots and lots and lots of people don't know how to coach the power clean why don't you learn how to coach the power clean why don't you just learn how to coach the power clean and quit making excuses for your lack of expertise in the job you're being paid to do? That's real annoying. You know that? Uh, you're a strength coach and you don't coach power clean? Well, you're not really a strength coach. Really, you're really not a strength coach. All right, let's see. If you read this question, feel free to shorten it or put it in your own words. All right, let me shorten it. Right here at the end, it says, please let me know your thoughts. That's the short version of that question. But it doesn't tell you anything, does it? So I can't really shorten it. All right, it's a question about a belt. The glue in my double-ply leather belt is starting to dry out, and the layers have separated. But the stitching is still intact, aside from a squeaking sound on my deadlift, on my descent in the squats. And that descent is spelled D E S C E N T, not decent. Okay. I haven't personally noticed a difference. That's because there isn't a difference. All right. There isn't a difference. Does a double-ply belt provide any more support than a single-ply with real sturdy vegetable-tanned leather belts? Well, it depends on the thickness of the belt. The, th the thicker the belt, the, the actually, this is fairly subtle, and most people won't notice this, but the thicker the belt, the more hoop tension the structure provides around the waist. Uh, a single-ply belt is more comfortable a double-ply belt is more supportive, all right? If you can only afford one belt, just get a single-ply belt. If, you're, if money's an issue, single-plies are cheaper, and they work pretty much the same way. Uh, a double-ply belt is a nice piece of equipment. Dominion makes the starting strength belt. 
It's the it's the best belt in the market. Uh, that link is on our website under the equipment tab at the top. All right. Uh, let's see why this is in here. This is probably a low T question. He's a male. He's forty three. He thinks male is a gender instead of a sex. He's 6'2", 214. He's only squatting 235, deadlifting 335, benching 197, pressing 120. He only eats 25 to 3,000 calories a day. Protein intakes, 225 to 250 grams a day. Began starting strength in LP in September this year. Numbers gone up pretty consistently with a few sticking points. Pulled a groin muscle during a squat a few weeks ago, setting back a little bit. I know my numbers are still quite low. Well, at least he's sufficiently self-aware to be conscious of that. Curious where you'd set my calories and what training split you'd suggest, if not standard novice linear progression for my height, weight, and mainly my age. All right, at 43, your age is not excessive. You're a kid. You can still train the novice linear progression as it's written at the age of 43 if you're eating enough. 2,500 calories is not eating enough. You need to be eating 3,500 calories at least. You need to get your protein up to at least 250 every day. And you said you've had your testosterone levels checked and you're at 377. Uh, looking for a doc who will actually prescribe it for me. Been to three already, including a urologist. You are illustrating the problem uh, that we talked about in the testosterone podcast uh, that, that has already appeared on Starting Strength Radio. Read. Well, don't read. Listen to. You can't read the podcast. You listen to or watch the podcast we've got a transcript that's true that's that's absolutely true had somebody actually comment on how nice the transcript was the other day in fact it was glenn reynolds at instapundit our friend glenn runs instapundit.com pjmedia slash instapundit.com uh probably most useful news aggregator website on the internet and uh he uh linked to the testosterone show the other day and remarked on how nice it was to have a transcript. Steph goes to a lot of trouble to produce that transcript, and I'm glad finally somebody noticed it. Okay, I have a question about training volume, more specifically about the apparently popular idea that an older lifter requires more volume in order to get stronger. I am aware that your stance on this is, in fact, the very opposite, and I understand that you are correct on this matter and can offer my own anecdotal evidence and support. Uh, it is entirely logical that an older lifter with reduced recovery capacity would need less volume rather than more. I'm 47 with a young family, and I work as a paramedic, which requires compliance to a 12-hour shift rotation days and nights. These factors impede my recovery somewhat. After having reached a point on the NLP where I just kept feeling beat up every day, my coach changed things up 
and put me on a heavy light medium program. This approach has reduced the volume on squats and deadlifts, but for now the press and the bench are still following NLP programming. Here I must credit Carl Ragavon for his insight into my specific training requirements. With this reduced volume on the most taxing lifts, I've noticed my bench press and press are going up easily, and in fact, I've achieved some all-time PRs in these lifts. So my question is, why is there such a propensity for the belief that increased volume is a must for older lifters, and how do these people who propagate such beliefs seem to be able to produce empirical evidence to prove it when clearly they are wrong? Well, people that advocate... uh, higher volume for older lifters are themselves not old were they older they would know better because the most obvious thing to those of us who train older people and those of us who are older people who train is that a whole bunch of sets and reps is not recoverable when you're older you can't recover from it you can lift heavy but you lift less tonnage as you get older. If you are an older novice, the same thing is true. You can continue to get strong as an older novice, even without the three sets across. If you are having trouble recovering, cut back on your tonnage and see what happens. And what you will find is that your numbers keep going up even at lower levels of reps and sets. And that's just been everybody's experience. It's been my experience. It's been the experience of all of our coaches who focus on training an older demographic. There's no disagreement. Uh, If people are selling programming templates and not actually coaching these lifters on the platform. Uh, a lot of that goes on. You know, you're, 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 you're not being coached. You're being sold a programming template. And if you're not on the platform with an older lifter, who is your client on a, on a regular basis, you just don't know. And you are not really entitled to an opinion. Okay, because as you point out, we're right. And, you know, that's often the case. Hey, Rip, I'm 22 years old and recently graduated from Ohio State University with an accounting degree. I'm a week away from passing my last exam, becoming a CPA, and starting work in December. However, I've started to realize that accounting may not be for me. I stumbled upon starting strength about a year ago, and it truly changed my life. I went from about a year off of squatting due to hip and knee pain to, as of last week, hitting 490 for three doubles. I've read both books and listened to the podcast. I'm highly considering coaching as a career possibility. Are there any starting strength coaches who have an accounting or business background? Well, uh, I'd say that there probably are several starting rank coaches with a, with an accounting or business background. I don't know about accounting specifically, but if you can get through an accounting degree, you're an intelligent person. And, uh, 
intelligence is a big variable in terms of being an effective professional barbell coach. If you are going to coach, you've got to be able to think. You've got to be able to think on your feet. And uh, there, there aren't really a lot of stupid accountants. You know, it's an extremely process-based profession. It's logical. It's arithmetic. And this, these are thinking skills are, are what you use every day when you're standing on the platform coaching a lifter. And uh, he says, also, if I decide to pursue this, I was thinking of trying to find a part-time accounting job while I study the starting strength method and coach as many people as possible. Is this a viable option? Or would I need to commit all of my time to coaching and studying? Well, once again, that kind of is dependent on how, on how bright you are. Uh, I would, if I were you, I don't think I would just abandon accounting if I'd gone to, through the process of getting my CPA. Now, whether you want to do that full time or not is certainly your decision to make later on, but uh, I would work in the field because as you train and get get better and better at coaching people, you're going to accumulate more and more clients, and at some point you're going to have to make a financial decision about uh what is going to be the most lucrative and balance that against the satisfaction you obtain from coaching instead of uh, doing accounting work. I, um, I coached people for a solid year while having a full-time job before I even considered doing it full-time. Most people do. Yeah. Most people do. Most people don't just wholesale swap from one career to the next yeah. because, you know, there's too much financial uncertainty in that kind of thing. And, uh, and also when I was learning how to coach, I was coaching them for free. So I had to in- supplement my right. income somehow. You, you've got to, you got to have an income. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Hey Rip, here's a question from a reforming physical therapist. You know, the kind that only learned neuromuscular adaptation occurs for four weeks and never learned to squat, press or deadlift in an exercise science degree. Yes. I know the type Though I did enjoy Dr. Garhammer's class on biomechanics. Uh, Dr. Garhammer is a respected biomechanist, and it's cool that you got to take a, a course with him. I uh, was in one of his classes at uh, the Olympic Training Center a long time ago uh, on one of my Olympic weightlifting certifications. He's a He's a sharp guy. Anyway, I'm 45, doing TRT. I'm 5'9", 195, put on about 30 pounds since started barbell training in February of 2019. Followed your advice for lifting and stand efforting for eating. Uh, currently able to press 165, squat 405, bench 295, deadlift 385. Uh, I, I would question the disparity between the squat and the deadlift there. The goal is a 500-pound deadlift, 200-pound press. I can barely touch the net when jumping, so I'm quite an average human. You can barely touch the net when jumping because you're 45, as we just mentioned a minute ago. All right. Uh, 
I've had difficulty re- recovering when attempting to deadlift twice a week. I thought I could do a normal deadlift workout and then a lighter workout, but found my back was just fatigued all the time. But deadlifting just once a week, trying to achieve this goal is frustrating. All other body parts can be worked twice a week. If the timing's right, I've been contemplating trying heavy deadlifts, try deadlifting every five or six days to shorten the cycle. Any thoughts on how to achieve the 500-pound deadlift? I would first like to have an explanation for why you're squatting 405 and only deadlifting 385. Because almost always, for a person who has been training a couple of three years, almost always the deadlift is in excess of the squat. And I mean to the point where uh, if it's not – I going to need an explanation of what the hell the problem is i don't know if it's your grip or your squats are six inches above parallel which would create an artificial squat 405 number um but that 20 pound heavier squat than deadlift at only 405 is something that i think needs an explanation now we see more advanced lifters where those uh where the squat and the deadlifts are very very close together but that's up in the 600s uh at 405 with a 405 squat you ought to already be deadlifting 465 475 anyway and i'd like to know why you're not uh and i don't know that uh it's it's your training i think that at 45 uh a once a week heavy deadlift should be sufficient. And I think you ought to be doing power cleans on the other workout. Uh, a 500 deadlift is certainly achievable by a man with a 405 squat because all these lifts are going to continue going up. You're 5'9 at 195. I think you probably need to think in terms of 220 for your body weight. A 195 is a bit light, uh, but I'd, 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 I'm curious about the deadlift. I wonder why the thing isn't going up. Are your fingers short? Uh, are your arms short so that your position at the start of the deadlift is not advantageous? There, there are several questions I'd have that I, that I'd would need answers to you think um him not being able to hold his back into low extension at the start of the deadlift would be a reason why and he just let it go Did he, i didn't see him say that well i'm we're theorizing right now well we this is this is one more reason we need to see something here. yeah we yeah. need to see something uh you know i mean anything could be wrong yeah but something's wrong yeah I don't I know mean, what it is. The, the reason some, why I bring that up is because I've had that with a client where when the deadlifts start getting heavy, they just release their back. Yeah. I mean, you can't yeah. if you can't keep your back flat off the floor, your mechanics for the pull are going to go to shit, and you won't be able to finish anything. He didn't mention anything here about how he's failing. Uh, the, the thing that stands out to me is 5'9", 195. He's 45. He ought to be heavier than that. And I'd like to know what his diet looks like. He says he's tired all the time. It could be something glaringly obvious, like a 2,500-calorie diet, something to that effect. Testosterone? 
He says he's on TRT. He is our, he's on it. He says he's on TRT. You mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, I'd say that uh, if you'd like to post a video on the board, call attention to the fact that you're the guy, Rob, in this question, and uh, I'll look at it, but uh, the flag goes up with a 385 deadlift and a 405 squat, all right? Flag goes up. All right. I dislocated, subluxed, left shoulder, escaping a arm bar, causing my labrum to partially detach from humerus, causing shoulder to sublux a couple times a week. Jesus. That hurts. Oh, man. Shoulder pain. It's exquisite. Most painful injuries on the planet are shoulder injuries. And you can't escape it no matter what. No, it's. Uh, yeah, I remember my ACL repair. I mean, yeah, my ACL repair was, was very, very bad because of the way they did the autograph. That was real painful, but uh, my uh, rotator cuff surgery was. Ooh. Ooh, you know, you know, guys walk into the doctor's office and say, man, I'm having some shoulder pain. wonder what it is. And the doctor says, well, how would you, how would, on a scale of one to 10, how would you, how would you rank your pain? He goes, oh, it's a nine, nine and a half. <laughs> no. If you're standing there talking to me, it's not a nine and a half. Uh, that, that, that scale, it's about like RPE. Just <laughs> stupid to even have introduced the idea. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, when I went through mine, I think I was 26, and uh, nobody prepared me for, the, for how rough Oh, they can't, you can't tell somebody this is going to, yeah. You're going to want to kill yourself for the next two weeks. You know, I went three weeks without sleeping more than 10 minutes at a time. Now you talk about a, yours was bad like that, wasn't it, Bree? It's just, you can't, you can't conceive of it if you hadn't, it never hurt like that. You just, God damn that's just so somebody say something about a shoulder injury about like this, and it just makes me. I was in makes a recliner for the first couple of weeks, and if you move just just the wrong way when you're about to fall asleep, then you get a sharp stab pain, and, and it wakes you back yep. up. Yep. Exactly, it's exactly. I had to what make it's... a um a, like a coffin out of pillows yeah. so I didn't roll. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. and and you're gonna you don't even have to roll. You just have you just to move. do that, yeah, and move, you yeah. know the damn thing yep. wakes you up. Yep. Oh, it's just it's amazing. It really is amazing. Uh, but the reason I uh, I uh, uh, chose this question is not because the description of the shoulder injury makes my asshole draw up. <laughs> he says, had surgery, was told to avoid overhead exercise. Should I avoid exercises like chin-ups? Would they be more dangerous than rows, deadlifts, etc.? I feel pressing should be good since it actually pushes the head of the humerus 
up into the glenoid fossa. I would appreciate your advice. Thanks. Look at my shoulder rehab video on this website, and it will describe to you my thoughts on this. You rehab shoulders with the press. That's what you do to rehab the shoulders is with the overhead press. I do not think chin-ups should be a problem either. I've had both of my shoulders operated on. I have successfully rehabbed both of them with chins and presses. There is something about doctors and the overhead press that I'm not capable of understanding. All right. Uh, in the blue book, I have a, a, a graphic description some nice anatomical drawings that explain the what the shoulder does during an overhead press. And I, it's just not that complicated. And uh, for some reason, doctors just can't wrap their heads around the idea that pushing something up over your head is a normal human movement pattern. And uh, I, I don't know where they get the idea that you – should not ever press anything up over your head if you've ever injured your shoulder. You know, if if you don't intend to ever use that range of motion again, well, yeah, just just sit in the chair. You know, have a seat and stay there the rest of your life. But if you want to get the range of motion back, how do you propose to do that without actually doing the range of motion? Now, if you want to look at the anatomy, go to the blue book. It's perfectly illustrated for you in the blue book. You have to press overhead. Chinning is fine, too, and I'll let you figure that out, okay? Okay. 6'5", 245 pounds, 53-year-old recovering male endurance athlete. On NLP for six months. His squat is 295. His deadlift is 395. His bench is 226. Press 156. These are all for sets of five. Goals 200, 300, 400, 500. It's a laudable goal. Easily achieved by a 53-year-old man. Since I have resembled a giraffe my entire adult life, I decided to get serious and hopped on to the novice linear progression about six months ago. He's 6'5", 245. That's why he says, why he makes the giraffe comment. 6'5", 245. I don't know about the spots. <laughs> but, yeah, that's giraffe-like. There's no doubt. Uh, Does he have a roll on neck? I don't know. Maybe that's where all the I don't know. I have gained 30 pounds since then with 250 grams of protein a day with a 3,500 calorie a day intake. Some of that is bourbon because I'm a grown man and it's delicious. No argument from me here. Uh, have hit some plateaus on the press, bench, and deadlifts. Recently mixed in threes uh, versus fives as well as invested in some half-pound plates. Well, you're approaching this correctly. Good. See the article, the first three questions on the website. 
the first three questions by me, Mark Ripito is my name, keeping the same time between sets is extending my training sessions by quite a bit, 30 to 45 minutes. Any difference for rest time between threes and fives? How long do I stick with threes before getting back to fives and favorite bourbon on ice? I don't drink bourbon on ice, Tom. I'm an adult. I'm a grown man, and I just drink bourbon. All right. Let me, if your primary concern here, and that's what it looks like, is is how long the workout is taking. And that's a valid concern. I mean, we all got shit to do. I published an article, oh, two, three months ago. What was what was the name of that about uh, saving time? It was one of the little short Tuesday pieces. Uh, saving time in your workout or something like that. And the upshot of the thing is that what you're going to do is you're going to do all your squat warm-ups. And you can do this just like everybody else can. You all do all your squat warm-ups. You do your first work set of the squats for the day. Whether it's fives or threes, it doesn't matter. If you're doing sets across, you'll have time to do this. And then what you'll do is uh, start to warm up the pressing movement that you're going to use that day and do half your half your pressing warm-ups and then do this the next squat work set, finish warming up pressing movement, do the final squat work set, wait about five minutes, and do then do the first pressing work set and start warming up the pull. Whether it's deadlifts or cleans, you start doing the warm-ups on those and so on and so forth. In other words, you're doing the warm-ups for the next exercise in between the work sets of the one you're doing now. This takes quite a bit of time off of the workout while at the same time not providing a whole lot of fatigue that would prevent you from doing uh your, your best effort for the day on the work sets that you're got written down in your book. Okay. It, it looks as though that was the nature of this question. Said he recently attended a squat camp in Houston with JD chase and Josh. Great gym, greater coaching made a huge difference in my low bar squat progress. Well, of course those guys know what they're doing. We're all equipped to help you out. Uh, you're at a disadvantage if you're, if you're trying to do this without some professional help. So I would highly recommend a squat camp to everyone interested. Oh, and look, it's the last piece of paper on the desk. Working through novice linear progression, 52 year old male, six foot weight gain, 220 to 242. Been on my LP run since around May or June with some moderate success. I know you are a Colorado frequent flyer. Well, I drive. I don't fly. I don't fly anywhere. If I never have to stand in line in front of a TSA officer ever again the rest of my life, it'll be way too soon. So I'm not flying. No, no. I'm not going to fly anywhere. I can't flap my arms and get there by doing 
He plans on skiing with the family for about a week in January. Started adding some prowler work and other easy cardio work so far. I can already see that it has slowed some of my squat and deadlift progress. Any tips for getting acclimated to the mountain O2 and continuing on my novice linear progression run? All right. Uh, having had quite a bit of experience at 9,300 feet, you are not going to be able to get acclimated to mountain altitudes, the 10,000-foot altitudes, at lower elevations. That doesn't occur, all right? Uh, the best thing you can do is just go up. and I mean, doing prowler work at sea level does not prepare you to do anything at 10,000 feet because at 10,000 feet, you're only dealing with about 71% of the air that you are dealing with at sea level. It is a different environment. You cannot prepare for mountain elevations at sea level or lower levels of, of elevation. You can't do it because you can't duplicate the conditions of low O2. All right, you just doing a whole bunch of endurance work does not prepare you to do that same level of endurance work at altitude. So I think you're probably uh, anything you're doing to to interrupt your uh, strength training in order to theoretically prepare for a, a one week ski trip is just it's, it's pointless. Just go ski it. You know, if you get out of breath, stop breathe you're not you're not you're not being paid to go skiing you know you want to go have fun skiing you're going to be you're going to have more fun skiing if you're stronger than if you're weaker all right and that's the that's the best way to look at it but you can't prepare for 10,000 feet at 2,000 feet there's no way to do that uh altitude adaptation is a an interesting topic. Maybe we'll do a show on it one day because there's so much misinformation regarding uh, what to do to get ready to to do uh, hard physical effort at high elevations. It is uh, th the more you know about it, the the more impressed you become with uh, people that can climb Mount Everest. That is a that's an amazing deal. You realize that the that Mount Everest is almost thirty thousand feet, twenty nine thousand twenty eight feet, or something like that, whatever they're calling it now, and which is thirty thousand feet, and a thirty thousand foot decompression situation in an airplane usually kills people. Because there isn't any air up there. You know, you're dealing with almost no air at 30,000 feet. And, uh, I mean, normal airline uh, activity occurs at between 32 and 38,000 feet. And here you are standing on a mountain that's a couple of thousand feet shorter than that. People's bodies are dying People, when they climb that thing. When you get up above about 20,000 feet, you're in the process of dying. And if you can get back down before you're dead, then that's that's the challenge. 
but it's it's tough on you. It's tough on you. And our my place in Colorado is ninety three hundred feet, and it's it's not uh, it's not comfortable to do any kind of work at all up there. Really uncomfortable. You get used to being uncomfortable, and that really is the nature of the adaptation. Your O2 sat up there is going to be about ninety two percent. And it's not that the O2 sat goes up. You don't ever get back up to 98% O2 sat at that elevation. What you get, what you get is used to being at 92% O2 sat. And uh, you just get to where you don't mind feeling like shit. And that's the, that's the nature of the adaptation, actually. Well, anything else? Nah, I think we're good. You people have anything you want to talk about? Bree, have anything you want to talk about? Bree, you got anything? Not really. Got anything for us? Not really. Russell, you got anything? I ain't got nothing. You got nothing. All right. Well, there are beers to be drunk. There are things to be done here. Got to get something to eat. I got a lot of leftovers. You know, every time I watch Blade Runner. I get hungry for noodles. Oh, yeah. There's that scene there oh, in yeah, the yeah. street. Uh, when I was in New York in just, March, you know, that was the, the highlight, was going to all of the faux places and eating all the noodles in well, Chinatown. Goddamn, it was I'm good. I'm telling you, this. I, I, about twice a year i got to watch Blade Runner because yeah. it's one of the best movies it's ever been made. Completely agree. And uh, you always watch the long version, mm-hmm. the final cut, I think he yeah. calls it. Uh, there were three cuts, right? It was like director's yeah. cut, final yeah. cut, and there's one other cut. I well, the notice. original cut with the narration. That, yeah, they that, took all that, that out, and they didn't need that in there. No, no, it was, it was pointless. Yeah. And yeah. the long version that Ridley Scott finally approved, that's that's such – I mean, it's what a hell of a movie that was. I completely agree. And I have to watch it a couple of times a year, but I find myself wanting noodles. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go get some pho. What was your thoughts on the newest one? Oh, I thought that uh, Blade Runner 2049, I thought it was an excellent I movie. Did too. I did too. Excellent movie. It was it's a shame not, it bombed. It, it was a it, shame it bombed. Well, I, it bombed because people are stupid. Yeah, that's a it, it was an yeah. excellent, excellent film. Yeah. It wasn't as good as the first one. But and it, nothing, it never is. Nothing it ever never is. is. You know, is. nobody expected it to be, but it was a great. I watched it two or three times. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not ever disappointed with it. Uh, Ford did a great job did. with his role in that thing and it was it was a hell of a good movie yeah it really really was uh, the photography was fabulous. oh it was beautiful beautiful, beautiful photography yeah. so uh those of you that have not watched uh here'd be a good assignment for you watch the first one the long version of the first one the final cut i think he called it and then watch 2049 and see what you think watch it back to back and get some noodles mm-hmm. okay We'll see you next Friday on Starting Strength Radio.